selling paper gold to depreciate gold is going to result in a major backfire on the G7 countries backing this risky, unbacked gold bet. They now have to keep printing always French. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. All right, welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran, and I'll be your host for this episode. And from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide, we want to thank you for your continued support. And as you can imagine, this community keeps growing more and more every single week. Now, this week, there is certainly a lot to talk about during these historic times. And fear not, because we have the one and only Andrew McGuire in the house, and we're going to be talking gold. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this episode. It's going to be a, an amazing episode, so fasten your seatbelts. You know, the Life in the Vault gives you access to information and updates that you just can't get anywhere else, and this episode is no exception. So just before we get to talking gold with Andrew McGuire, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We want to know who you'd like to see as a special guest on this show. And to have your say, simply click the link in the description below and head over to our Twitter channel, reply to the tweet by tagging your dream live from the vault guest, and we'll keep a close eye on the results. And with that, let's head over to the UK and Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire. Now, Andrew, for consistency, usually you like to pick up the thread from the last episode by summing up the short-term action and then looking into what the wholesale market is telling us right now. Can we start there? Yes, Shane. Great to see you again. Uh, let's start with what we and our first and second tier liquidity providers are actually seeing. And the elephant in the room that none of the mainstream news services are reporting, which is an unprecedented historical structural imbalance between the paper and the physical markets that have not just invalidated silver futures as a workable hedging tool, but also now affecting gold, which has been in constant actionable backwardation, illustrating that the futures are de definitely mispriced. Now, obviously, we've been through what a back backwardation is. It's simply when you have a further out futures uh, expiry that is that should be trading at a premium because of storage costs, et cetera, et cetera, carry costs, should be trading at a premium to the spot cash price today. And when it is not, and when, when the, we see the spot price several dollars um, higher than, uh, than, the, than the futures price. So obviously this is telling us there's a problem. So in the last episode, we looked at how the COMEX silver market finally broke. I remember saying, stick this in your diary. And how this telegraphs that the entire casino price setting mechanism is either going to break or be re-engineered before all futures and physical trading finds another liquid home. Asian physical exchanges are increasingly becoming liquid enough to provide alternate and far less volatile institutional grade hedging tools. And, and, and as price setting increasingly reflects deliverable bullion, what's going to happen is the volatility, which we are seeing right here today again. Uh, and don't forget, we're recording this on Wednesday ahead of FOMC. 
So, you know, we, we got to expect this. But this is the paper gaming that is going to start to level out once this liquidity, this COMEX-centric liquidity, more and more flows into what are viable physically, uh, more physically uh, uh, backed exchanges. Now, COMEX open interest, which we can see already largely reflects spec naked long or short rinsing cycles, Richie, have no relevance to physical supply demand. And so we will have to increase it. This is going to have to increasingly reflect global supply demand prices, which means the COMEX tail currently wagging the global dog will be arbitraged for delivery. Now, in other words, what we're increasingly seeing now is the exchange. Now, let's go one more time. What the exchange for physical uh, process is, it is when a COMEX price is actually transferred over to the over-the-counter markets, which are Basel III compliant and can be delivered. So what we're seeing now is this EFP um, outflow draining COMEX inventories with institutional-grade open interest trading elsewhere, but preying on the COMEX price differences. This is something that we haven't seen before. So like it or not, the CME knows that the COMEX and its Basel III non-compliant, the exchange-traded fund called GLD, is under attack. And the current official G7 gold sanctions that we've been following and talking a lot about in the last couple of episodes um, was, paper, was paper-centric COMEX driven, very ill-advised, and is backfiring as these backwardations drain rehypothecated gold. Now, this last Russian sanction kick at the can was a step too far. Now, I will move on to this ETF battle in a moment. But first, let's look at how the cash-settled COMEX futures markets will be forced to range between how much open interest, let's call them chips in the casino, how much open interest can be laid on the specs, whether it's long or short. And what we're seeing is this spread at historical, the spread between those two at historical extremes that are going to actually right now, because whereas the insiders will take the short side when it's rising, they'll take the long side when it's cooling. Right now, it's looking like it needs an upside rinse. Not looking like it, it will have to receive an upside rinse at some point. So for this, let's take a rare look at the extremely stale dated COT report, which is the published report. And a lot of people who are traders will know what it is. If you're not a trader, it is a report that is published by the uh, CME and the CFTC uh, every single Friday. <laughs> and it's stale dated by three days. Go figure in the picosecond world, why it's stale dated three days. Well, we know it's because it's a tool. Um, but it, even that, even when, when in this sort of rigged report, it can no longer hide that the house is readying to pull the trigger on the speculators they're betting against. And as we know, the house never loses. So it's not a question of if, it's just really a question of when. Now, usually we look at the house taking the short side against the speculators naked long. Uh, we saw that into March. And knowing that these specs will never take delivery of these gold purchases. So in other words, setting them up to borrow enough chips 
to leverage themselves to the limit for the House to then swamp them with sufficient sell orders to force them to close these bets into a downside rinse. However, most unusually this time, we have a setup that evidences the House is taking the long side against, and this is, this is key, unprecedentedly wrong-footed spec short bets against the House. We have never seen them to this extent. And more immediately, the COT report cannot hide the fact that the House has got specs right where they want them. And the upside rinse is actually inevitable and very, very close. Now, the last COT report really needs very little comment. You just have to look at it. Um, other than into the last Thursday lows, which was the, the, the absolute lows in gold, um, with September silver trading uh, at forty at a $1,400 discount per contract to spot. I mean, ludicrous. We've talked about this last time. The house exceeded the level of long bets against the wrong-footed specs, which we've outlined in silver in our last episode. We haven't evidenced this level of speculator wrong footing against the House since May 2019. We kind of alluded to this. With silver, when silver was at $14.26, and that was just before the House rang the register on these specs, rallying a full five bucks into the 1970s, 1975 levels. And there was almost nothing in the way of actionable pullbacks for four solid months. Well, we've just had four solid months since March of selling. Now, this week's spec-driven gap close attempt um, into the June 2020, uh, th this was the 15750 $12 rally point. So in other words, what we're saying is this is almost identical setup, except even more bullishly set up than when silver was at seven, at, uh, fifth, at fifth, 17,570. And it rallied really, um, uh, I mean, it rallied at this point um, from, uh, and this was actually a gap close that we're talking about. But while everyone was waiting for this full gap close, it was front run by the house at 18 bucks. Now, as we discussed in our last episode, what is really getting our attention here? It's gold that has really got our attention. And the structural bullish setup we reported last time, which there is little doubt is the result of ill-advised G7 sanctions against gold, has now extended to exceed historically unprecedented levels. Now, let's take a little time to walk through this as we haven't evidenced the house so loaded long against the naked short specs just before they pulled the trigger on these lopsided speculator bets against the House back in May 2019. And as we know, the House always wins and long or short, they will maintain what we see as a 95% win ratio that every casino maintains. That is how it works. And currently this Comex driven arbitrable backwardation has led to the House exposed by EFPs, to delivery outflows steadily going further along against every single blinkered spec sell order, which by last Tuesday exceeded spec short positions. I use Tuesday because that's where the COT report was, was cut off. It exceeded spec short positions against the house not seen since May 2019. And gold futures were at 1269 at that point. Uh, and then they rallied close to 300 bucks 
1566, again, almost no, nothing in the way of action and pullbacks for the next four months into September 2019, as the House rang the register on these deeply wrong-footed speculators. So just to put things into perspective, and based upon the commercial, the COT published numbers just ahead of May 2019, just before this short squeeze trigger was pulled, the all-important swap dealers and producer merchants, these are the predatory guys, the swap dealers are. Producer merchants can be a mixture uh, of, of, uh, of really leg legitimate hedges, but they were still 137,000 contracts net short back then. This time we see them last Tuesday cut off at 112K, which as of the unreported gap close last Thursday, has likely reduced it to under 100,000. Now, if we then add in the opaque ownership stakes in Cayman entities infesting the other reportables categories, insiders are full, bore, long gold and silver. So they're just biding their time here. But bear in mind, there are legitimate hedges encompassed in this data. But what we're reporting is that the House has never, and I mean never been so long, against the speculators who no longer have any long bets to be rinsed off. So in other words, speculators have loaded themselves to unprecedented limits with naked short bets they just simply cannot deliver on. But muscle memory keeps these specs chasing zero. I mean, <laughs> a speculator in, based in, in the casino with the oxygen of the, of the casino and no windows to the outside world sees gold and silver potentially at zero and are chasing mindlessly down, ignoring backwardations, ignoring all the technical data, ignoring all of the things that, are, that a wholesaler would look at and an insider would look at. And the resulting exchange for physicals are forcing, because the outflows are forcing discipline on the insiders exposed to delivery obligations. So they're not gonna let them go down to zero. It, it's it, the officials, it is the officials that are exposed here. And their only option is to cash settle undeliverable rehypothecated bullion that has exited the AFP conduit. Now we'll have a look at that because that'll raise a lot of questions. We'll look at that in a minute. But drilling down into silver futures, although specs are running low on chips to play, it's estimated they finished last Friday at around 16,000 contracts net short with and that's the, spec that's the speculators, um, with the swap dealers one-to-one -one long against them, um, uh, ringing the register, already starting to ring the register. Um, and swap dealers are by now about probably 20,000 contracts net long, also bumping up the already unprecedented bullish house setup. So, and to provide a bit of context, just ahead of the May 2019 short squeeze trigger, the, spread, the, the predatory swap dealers we're only 8,000 contracts net long versus the 10.3 thousand contracts net long in this in this last report. And speculators were 14,000 contracts net short versus the current um, reported build of this position to well over 14,000 contracts. However, by last Friday, the silver, the silver future structure exceeded the trigger point when adding, uh, and when adding in these unprecedented backwardations, we have again, Never, and I repeat, never seen such a compelling 
reason for a short squeeze to commence. Now, what is clear is that officials have been responsible for the recent wall of paper market selling. But we've, as we've reported here for some time, this is a developing sanction blowback of mega proportions. And as we've detailed, the joint at the hip related COMEX silver market was broken in this process and backwardated gold futures EFPs are now draining the small percentage of bullion backing each undeliverable COMEX contract. So either officials back off or the oil for gold trade will break the COMEX. Because as we said, we've seen a massive amount of Indian buying, not just gold, but also silver. Our worst case ranges that we said were, in, were, were both front run. Um, so, you know, a lot of people were looking for these ranges to be hit, but they were both front run. Um, gold essentially closed the June uh, gap, um, uh, the June 2020 gap, uh, front running the, it was the 1671.70 low. And they front run it by about six, just under seven bucks, um, which was spot 681, significantly higher. And uh, Silver Futures fa has failed to close the gap bouncing at eight, just over 18, um, um, which was spot 18.25. Now, while both should now have technically, structurally, and fundamentally bottomed, and regardless of FOMC later today, and we're, as I say, we're recording this on Wednesday before FOMC, specs in silver continue to take the short bait while gold began to turn into a buy-the-dip setup. Well, that's amazing, Andrew. Now, since our last episode, we've had several of our community members that are very concerned with their GLD investments, and they're being used as a flywheel to tamp down the price of gold. Not only do these subscribers and community members not want to be part of the problem, but they're very concerned, uh, and rightfully so, about what? About their integrity of the ETF, of their gold and silver investments, especially as you raise the issue of counterparty risk almost every single week. And can you walk us through how it's possible the bar lists that they see on the GLD website appear to be compromised? Yeah, Shane, really good question, timely too. I think, I think especially important to look uh, now, when, if not, if not, it's when, it, not if, the next black swan event hits a broken banking sector. You need to know you've got physical when something like that happens. This time, the tail risks looming over the too-big-to-fail authorised participants who are responsible for creating and withdrawing the trust's share baskets may not be able to get bailed out again as they were by the skin of their teeth when the related COMEX to spot EFP mechanism fractured back in March 2020. Now, I really think we need to lay this ETF confusion to bed once and for all. So I will spend a little time on explaining how investments in GLD and SLV are not only risky investments, but also how ETF investors are empowering gold and silver price suppression and are almost certain to be settled for cash on their positions ahead of an inevitable gold price reset. So likely these things, as we've said multiple times, if something like that happens, it'll probably happen on a Friday with the reset coming on a Monday. 
guess who's going to be left in the sidelines? So Shane, these are some very timely questions and thanks for referring to the published bar list that attests to each of these numbered bars that have been independently audited. Now, these bars do exist. And indeed, that is sufficient to provide superficial comfort to GLD investors. But unless one digs under the covers a little, the underlying counterparty risks associated with the physical gold held in the trust are just simply not realized. And after my recent public assertions that GLD is not Basel III compliant, NSFR compliant, and does act as a flywheel to cap gold prices, I will answer these recent subscriber questions, which mirror very similar questions last week from two separate well-known institutional client subscribers who, for the first time, began questioning the integrity of this published GLD ETF bar list that provides comfort to this ETF that they're invested in. Now, while viewing this episode, I really suggest you pull up a bar list. Uh, this bar list is publicly available and, and, and it's published daily and uh, you can pull it, it easy to pull up. And the first question, it looks very comforting. The first question arose when a client who still has a very large investment in GLD was refused physical delivery and offered cash settlement by the originating authorized participant. And this was benchmarked at the Thursday 21st July PM fix, which came through at a 1705.10. What turned out was physical gold was not, and I repeat, not available at anywhere close to this price, despite GLD being synced at the PM fix. Yet into this basket redemption request, GLD remained static, evidencing no outflows that day, while the iShares evidenced an outflow of 3.4 tons that day. And, and obviously that raises questions. And so on, on my advice, the client redeemed his GLD shares for cash. And since then, EFP directly into spot and has now taken physical delivery at a substantial premium. He wanted out. And I think we're gonna see a lot more wanting out. And here's where the problem lays. And as we know, the on and off ramps for the GLD ETF flow in and out in the form of unallocated gold, with the counterparty risk transiting through the books of the authorized participant, of which there are a few. However, while an inflow into GLD escapes Basel III NSFR regulations, outflows landing on the liquidity provider's books must be NSFR compliant and must be physically backed. And therein lays the problem. And while there is little doubt that the audited GLD bar list is genuine, what is little appreciated is that the individually numbered 400 ounce bars identified on the bar list can be short sold by an authorized participant. And in other words, double counted, or in other words, rehypothecated. And given the on and off ramps into and out of the GLD ETF consist of unallocated gold with the counterparty risk laying on the authorized participants balance sheet at any point in time, the degree of rehypothecation is simply unknown. A black swan event such as a plausible directly related um, uh, OCC derivative blow up triggered by a serious geopolitical escalation could expose GLD investors to unknown counterparty risk. 
And if you think those those black swan events are not around the corner, we saw today uh, China talking about a no-fly zone because of uh, Pelosi thinking about um, flying into, into Taiwan. These things, we are at the edge of a very serious uh, escalation in Russia and China. Now, while the over-the-counter FX gold market is now Basel III NSFR compliant, and if called upon for T plus two delivery, the gold credit positions must be physically backed. And there's sufficient providence which we'll look at in a minute, to indicate that gold credit positions diverted by authorized participants into GLD are not necessarily backed one-to-one with an equal backing of physical gold. In other words, not Basel III compliant. So COMEX-centric EFPs allow unbacked leveraged COMEX positions to be directly exchanged for a like quantity of GLD shares. And aside from the ability to short against GLD, this leverage exchangeability for bars sitting on the GLD bar list adds another layer of opaqueness to how many ownership claims exist against each bar. Now, the problem lays in that the trust does not differentiate or segregate the counterparty risk of the unallocated gold credit positions laying on the balance sheet of the too-big-to-fail authorized participants. The proof is in the pudding. The latest GLD SEC filing stated that the trust can refuse delivery requests. And if you remember, we read it out last time, if they said, if delivery is impractical for any reason, end quote. I mean, what they mean is, if physical delivery is impractical. So this beggars the question, why? If over-the-counter FX long positions are supposed to be physically backed, and these FX gold positions flow into the GLD ETF, why would the trust need any delivery disclaimers when the bar list is supposed to back up every deposit? This underscores that the GLD ETF is not always Basel III compliant, which is why we refer to this ETF as a backdoor, non-NSFR compliant flywheel. And since GLD inventory can be short sold, is why GLD's custody does not meet industry standards and requires such a disclaimer. And there's very good provenance for this. So long-time gold investors, investors will remember, you'll remember this, but given that the mainstream media has blown smoke over this major embarrassment, and in fact, I'm surprised how many people are not aware of what happened in 2015 when CNBC's Bob Pisani was allowed to visit the London GLD vault on camera. Now, a lot of you remember this, but a lot of you have not been aware of this. And because I've met people recently, even as far as yesterday, who were unaware of this. And when sec look, security, let's bear in mind that this was touted to be some great big um, uh, auditable look, GLD, there was questions about GLD back then. Come on, let's send somebody in on camera and we'll prove that the GLD is, exists. So uh, security was played up. It was really tight. He had to surrender his cell phone, was taken in a van, blacked out windows uh, to an undisclosed location. And once in the vault, Pisani held up a random gold bar and explained how each bar was numbered and registered to the GLD ETF trust. <laughs> However, much the embarrassment of the GLD Trust and CNBC, it was later revealed that the gold bar Pisani randomly picked up was not owned by the Trust. In fact, 
this bar was owned by another ETF altogether, but visibly sat in the GLD segregated vault. And it was discovered later, this bar did not sit in the GLD bar list at all. And the ownership of the bar in question was only revealed by chance when a friend, Ned Naylor-Dayen from Cheviot Asset Management, was approached by ETF securities and they were attempting to pitch their own ETF to his fund. And when Ned expressed scepticism about the integrity of the ETFs in general, showing the CNBC clip to them, they then checked the bar number and discovered this very same bar was owned by themselves. This was the first time they knew that someone had handled and filmed one of their bars on live TV being attributed as belonging to the GLD Trust. Now, we've got to thank Silver Doctors for archiving that screenshot. And it, I, I know that Silver Doctors still have that on their screenshot. So I would really, anyone questioning this, go and have a look. Bar number's there. And look, there's no plausible explanation that would allow the mixing of bars owned by another legal entity into the GLD vault. And at the very least, it raises a lot of questions about the integrity of GLD's vault management system run by authorized participants who themselves have skin in the gold derivatives game. This is akin to the fox guarding the hen house. Now, further doubts GLD is one-to-one -one backed by physical gold was evidenced back, if you remember, in March 2020. We did a lot on this at the time live when unexpected COVID-related lockdowns triggered extremely large safe haven gold demand. Of course it would. Um, that's what gold is, 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 is sought. It's sought into blacktail events. This tsunami of safe haven gold and silver buyers ran into a wall of shuttered down Swiss refineries and overnight physical gold became impossible to obtain. And these gold orders came in two forms and in both instances exposed the paper gold sham. First of all, physical demand. The over-the-counter liquidity providers were suddenly turned upon for physical delivery of their not yet Basel III compliant 100 to 1 unbacked gold positions. Basel III had not been enforced at that time. However, with no physical to T plus two, like a two-day delivery against these unallocated paper long gold positions, hedged by paper gold COMEX short positions, it forced liquidity providers to race en masse to exit delivery obligations by covering their directly related short COMEX hedges that related to these long positions. They needed out. They didn't have the physical to deliver. But this race to exit paper to paper gold credit positions drove COMEX bid only, spiking paper to physical spreads as high as 100 bucks an ounce. That forced hundreds of millions of losses for second tier liquidity providers, many of whom exited this space forever. And it also triggered government bailout of too big to fail bullion banks caught naked long. And in fact, it was this EFP fracture that locked in upcoming Basel III NSFR legislation in January 2020. Now, the second inflow of gold orders that came uh, after this EFP fracture in March 2020 arrived in the form of ETF demand, GLD, safe haven gold buying related to the unfolding pan pandemic also ramped up investment demand in paper gold. Obviously, COMEX traders, hedge funds, looking to get exposure to gold quickly. The resulting spike up in the COMEX gold price also drew in very large technical buying, driving hundreds and hundreds of tons of GLD and ETF investment flows.
demand. But as we've just identified, with no with the refinery shut down, there was no physical gold available to fulfill these inflows. So to balance the GLD books, we have empirical evidence that the gold to fulfill these orders was borrowed from the Bank of England. Now, given the Bank of England has no unencumbered gold to lend in the first place, the hundreds of tons of the ballooning GLD inflows consisted of unbacked gold loans and swaps. This flies in the face of GLD's prospectus, stating gold could not be traded, leased or loaned. Now, when authorized participants were called upon to physically deliver rehypothetical GLD baskets to plug the global physical shortages, they could not deliver the physical bars on the bar list to meet this demand. This was out of necessity. The CME and the competing LBMA, this is when they forged their, their alliance. And this is two competing exchanges forced to ally themselves. Yet every single wholesaler knew that the impossible to obtain hundreds of tons of incoming bullion flowing into GLD did not exist in deliverable form, making a farce of it. Nevertheless, bars became, began populating the GLD bar list. And the only plausible explanation was that the bars were loaned by the Bank of England to balance the books. Now, if GLD had fulfilled its mandate of actually backing their baskets with physical gold, it would have forced authorised participants to go to market to buy bullion when no refinery was able to deliver. So this is what happens in a black swan event. There's always a supply demand price for an asset. It doesn't. Yes, it's going to be higher, but there's always a price. And in these circumstances, it would have meant that existing holders of physical gold would have had to have been incentivized to part with their bullion, which in turn would have established a real supply demand price. At the right price, there would have been a gold seller. This is the point. But the derivative gold market would have imploded. So what we saw was a bailout. And given the market had already gone bid only, the price would probably at best estimate, we talked of liquidity for at least three to $5,000 from the March 2020 low price, which was only at 1,450 bucks. That would have been a hell of a ramp before they'd have found enough bullion to back up these GLD orders. It could have even been higher um, to, you know, to, to elicit sufficient willing sellers, but this would have broken historical resistances and it would have collapsed likely a trillion dollars with unbacked offside derivative bets. So you just pick your own price where the price would have actually settled. In other words, over-the-counter gold could have gone nickel hadn't the GLD flywheel been utilized. The evidence is there. I'm raising this now because we're teetering on the edge of another black swan event and that will drive real deliverable physical price of gold and silver bid only. Hence the race to exit OCC bets, Office of Comptroller bets that are listed there in a hurry. And this is what is forcing embedded, unprecedented backwardated conditions. Now, it's one thing for authorized participants to be unable to physically deliver on the rehypothecated bars, which is diluting and invalidating the integrity of the bar list, 
But the real reason the GLD share baskets are not one-to-one -one backed with unencumbered physical gold is because GLD holds the last vestiges of officially sanctioned ongoing price containment efforts to protect the very large related naked short over-the-counter derivative bets identified on the OCC report. So in summary, if the trust had to go to the global market to buy the physical gold that GLD investors believe would be back in their gold investments, the price of gold would reflect real supply demand metrics. Furthermore, these GLD investments would rise or fall with price, making GLD a competing asset class that could be bought or sold based upon true supply demand fundamentals, which is what people think it is. And it is not. And therein lays the problem with GLD. It acts like a flywheel in times of large demand and is a primary tool for the ongoing suppression of the gold price. And, but as we've just identified, the one thing that's been clear through the years is that a fair and honest price for gold was being circumvented by the ability of the COMEX to create limitless quantities of undeliverable synthetic gold and silver supply, much of it flywheeled in the GLD ETF. Ultimately, this has come at a price to the West. The result is that outside of the house-controlled casino, paper market mismatches have been capitalized on by real physical markets, which have sucked out so much liquidity out of the paper markets, it's already left them teetering on an ever-dwindling supply of underpinning deliverable gold. The recent Russia sanction blowbacks, Black Swan event, simply accelerated the inevitable fracture with competing physical exchanges, the beneficiary of GLD's ultimate device. demise. So add Taiwan into the mix. Look, we've got a secondary potential trigger here. Andrew, thanks a lot for that clarification there. That's going to help a lot of people because that was probably the number one question that we were asked. Now, can you, uh, while we're at it here, take a little closer look at the silver ETF SLV, please? Yes, yeah, Shane. You know, you know you bring up silver at some point. SLV has the same issues as GLD, which is we also evidenced back in March 2020. But SLV's ETF backdoor was once again exposed as recently as February 2021, when SLV custodian BlackRock announced it would not go to market to buy physical silver to match an a massive influx of silver orders, which would have driven the silver price tens of dollars higher overnight. So for the purpose of discerning the difference between GLD and SLV, the, the algorithm inputs have on silver versus gold is that silver is not Basel III compliant. However, silver is also deliverable, a deliverable at foreign exchange cross. So joined at the hip to gold with the ratio trade, the visible actionable cross that you can measure it against. And when the gold-silver ratio is driven to extremes, as is the case now, It'll be arbitraged by market-making insiders exposed to delivery obligations, forcing a pushback against otherwise price-controlling COMEX-centric algos. So we are certain that silver is in massive demand in India right now after the tax increases in gold. Yes, smuggling has increased from, from the 30 tons a month to what we believe is closer to 100 tons right now to fulfill the, um, the oil uh, the oil trade, the Russia oil discount trade. All right. Now, Andrew, there's been some recent questions also from the community regarding Ukraine selling its physical gold holdings. Do you have any insights on, on this area? 
Yeah, Shane, I think the real question is, are Ukraine gold sales rehypothecated? Now, following Peter Schiff, and it was summed up in Zero Hedge, um, I'm sure it's still on Zero Hedge now, uh, now uh, they, Peter Schiff highlighted the discrepancies surrounding Ukraine's gold sales activity. So we went to our own well-connected liquidity providers to dig in a little deeper following the Thursday 21st lows to assess if any physical had indeed appeared for sale into such a large downside gap close attempt. Now, given the lack of physical coming for sale into the recent backwardation conditions, already suggests that the so-called Ukraine gold hoard has indeed been rehypothecated and sold as part of the official G7 mandate to attack Russian gold adopted uh, which was adopted by the EU last Thursday. Now, just note the timing of this officially driven paper market driven selling, along with the freezing of spare banks assets. That's when the low was made. And while we still need to fully verify that these sales are leveraged COMEX centric paper sales, really probably backed up by what is estimated to be maybe a tenth of physical margining for this sale, the fact that none of our liquidity providers have evidence any such large physical supply appearing in the wholesale market for sale. It very much suggests that officials have been leveraging these sales. This also jives with a degree of expanding futures backwardations extending to as large as $3.65 per ounce for gold on last Thursday into the lows. If there was any size of physical coming to market, these backwardated spreads would be eliminated or indeed futures would be in contango, i.e. trading where they should be as a futures contract reflecting carry costs, etc. at a higher price. And this plays into the ill thought through G7 sanction attempts to target gold and cap Russian oil prices. They're both going to backfire. Selling paper gold to depreciate gold is going to result in a major backfire on the G7 countries backing this risky unbacked gold bet. Now, Andrew, as many of our community members know that you've been way ahead of the market telling us that under the radar, as part of their mandate to force agent banks holding counterparty risk to comply with the Basel III and the NSFR rules, the BIS has been stealthily unwinding uh, its lease and its swap positions over the last few months. Now, the latest BIS report really confirms what you've been reporting for months now. Are you still seeing this right now? Yes, Shane, we are. And back in 1998, Frank Venerasso projected that 25 to 50% of all reported central bank reserves were out on lease. Now, back then, these were physical leases. However, since then, global exchanges have sprung up and have evidenced mispriced lease bullion outflowing on a one-way trip. This activity essentially reopened the gold window, which is one of the main reasons the BIS stepped in to stem the central bank to central bank physical and paper ETF outflows by introducing Basel III NSFR standards in January. Notably, concurrent with Basel III NSFR legislation, the closing of BIS swaps and leases that we've been reporting as accelerating over the last few months is now becoming evident. Gatter's consultant, Robert Lamborn, he does an excellent analysis on this, 
<clears throat> which now verifies exactly what we've been reporting and can be found on the GATA website under the heading Basel III BIS Gold Swaps. The BIS is ramping up their efforts to square up long-standing leases and swaps. That's clear. And a caveat here is that not a single physical ounce has exited the BIS site gold site account since 2015. The swap and lease liabilities were laid on the balance sheet of the agent bullion banks who have gold accounts with the Bank of England. And while these efforts accelerate, any residual leases or swaps can be cash settled into a gold revaluation price reset. However, while the BIS have been busy covering these swaps, stepping up, laying these liabilities onto the COMEX specs into the rigged March 4th. Uh, this is four month, uh, since March, March, we've had a four month price decline, which they've been actively using to dump these liabilities onto the speculators who are going to get rinsed. And once these limits are reached, it looks very close here, a final squaring of cash settlement, uh, ca cash settlement will ultimately substantially raise the price of gold. Now, while derivative gold will be cash settled with a keystroke entry, it's important to say to know that we think the CME-LBME alliance will allow COMEX gold to rise to protect this massive cash cow. It's the tricked in naked short speculators who will lose their entire margin positions overnight, naked short and set into an overnight revaluation. Now, we've, it could be unlimited liability here, not just what you bet, but unlimited liability. If you go bid only and there's nobody there to sell. And we have lots of firsthand evidence that insiders are already building up very large physical positions. And it will also be long and strong foreign exchange gold into a black swan event or in the case of a planned price reset, whichever happens first, one of these things is going to happen. The only question is, and we, I know we always end up with it, leave on this, on this note, how much physical gold and silver do you own, guys? All right. Thank you so much, Andrew McGuire with Talking Gold. And remember, to our whole Live from the Vault community, buy physical, physical, understand the difference, what Andy affectionately calls the casino paper, gold and silver markets, and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same. Don't be fooled. And there you have it. That's all we have for you today on another fascinating episode of Live from the Vault. Please help us spread the word about this channel by hitting that like button, sharing this information with everyone you know, and hitting the subscribe button. Now, if you want to click the bell there, uh, you can be notified in real time as each episode goes live. So there you have it. With that, we'll see you next time on Live from the Vault. Bye for now.